I'm H.D. Waddell, and uh, last week I had the opportunity to speak, and Ken asked me if I'd come back again while he's gone. Uh, I'm the, and I'm not sure if it's a good thing or not, I'm the principal of this building, of Bend High School, and last week I said, yeah, that's nice, because I don't, being a principal, you don't always get that. In fact, um, as Brandon was talking about uh, the rules, you know, you can't bring coffee in here, and, and I feel like everybody's looking at me, like it's, you know, that's a school rule, everybody, I want to hide when I'm here, you know. And uh, anyway, it, it's an honor. It's an honor, like I said last week. It's truly an honor to, to be able to worship in the place that you work. That, that's really awesome. Last week, we took a look at Psalm 15, and I want to get right back in it. And so before we do that, Kelly is Kelly here. I'm going to have Kelly just read through Psalm 15. If you have uh, your Bibles with you and you want to open up to Psalm 15, feel free to do that. Now, you know, uh, Kelly is at Summit, so it's really a stretch for me to have Kelly speak, <laughs> being a summiteer and all. Thanks but for letting me do that. You bet. <laughs> oh, Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks with truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Thanks, Kelly. Living in the 21st century, things like righteousness and integrity and truth those things aren't always looked upon as favorable. All we have to do is, is turn on the television and watch the nightly news, and those things are somewhat scarce. I was reading an old hymn, Take Time to Be Holy. Maybe some of you remember that. Take time to be holy, speak oft of thy word. Abide in him always and feed on his word. Take time to be holy, the world rushes on. Spend much time in secret with Jesus alone. Most of us, when we hear those words, would agree with those and probably even defend them. But truth be told, sometimes those words are, are strangers to us. So I think in reviewing and taking a look at Psalm 15, it will encourage us, it will challenge us to live a life that's holy, a life of godly character. In review, last week, we took a look and saw that Psalm 15 tells us that we can live an unshakable life. An unshakable life. It almost seems unbelievable that God would tell us that. But in Psalm 15, that's exactly what he says. In the last verse, in verse 5, it says, He who does these things will never be shaken. This past week, maybe... Maybe you felt some tremors. Maybe, maybe there's some tremors of, of some health issues or financial issues or, or relational issues. In fact, maybe those tremors turned out to be an all-out earthquake in your life. And yet, it was God himself who said, we can live a life 
that cannot be shaken. And, and as we looked at last week, it was penned by one of David's great servants, or one of God's great servants, David. And we looked last week at David a little bit, and we saw that his life was marked by calamity and courage and change. At one, mo- at one point, David would be on his knees asking for repentance, and the next time we find him dancing in the streets with victory. We saw that David's life was like that of an elevator on a Sears Tower, up and down and highs and lows, but in the midst of all that, David had an unshakable life because we found that David had a center. We looked at verse 1 last week, and we found that the center of David was his relationship with God. And if we're to have an unshakable life, it all starts with our relationship with Christ. We cannot live an unshakable life unless you have that most important relationship. So today we draw the curtains up once again on Psalm 15. And today we're going to take a look at verse 2. Verse 2 has three godly character traits. And throughout Psalm verse 15, which we won't get to all of them today, but we'll find that, that there's ten godly character traits. So today, today we'll take a look at three of those. Verse 2, he who walks with integrity, walks with righteousness, and speaks truth in his heart. How important are these three godly traits? When I was in college, this isn't coffee, by the way, okay? I'm following my own rules here. It's water. And when I was in college, I worked construction, and I don't want you to get confused that if you have any to-do lists or construction on your home, you don't want to call me, Okay? I was the master gopher guy. I was a mean, I was mean, I had a mean wheelbarrow, and I could even run a backhoe. But don't ask me to do the construction part. But I did learn some things when I worked construction. And, uh, and that was when they laid the foundation of the homes, they, they'd have these frames and then some stakes. And then inside those frames, they'd have these steel bars, and they call those rebar. And, and the purpose of those rebar was to reinforce and even pull the foundation together. I see these three characteristics, integrity, righteousness, and truth, as traits as the rebar that runs through the foundation of our life. So what is integrity? The first one. What is integrity? What does that word mean to you? If I was to ask you, how would you define integrity? What might you say? I was reading a, uh, an article out of the Harvard Review this past week, and they talked about a physicist that was a lecturer in Harvard for years. And after all these years of teaching, he found that his students were not learning at the level they should. And he was frustrated with that. So what he did was he began to do some interaction, um, some active participation, as us in the teaching world call it. And all of a sudden, the learning level went way up. So I'm going to ask you to do that today. 
I want you to think, what is integrity? How would you define that? Now I'm going to give you 30 seconds. And I'm the principal, so I can call it when I need to. Okay? What I want you to do, if somebody's sitting next to you, I'd like you to ask them, between the two of you, give your definition of integrity. How would you define it? How would you explain it? you got 30 seconds with somebody next to you. Go. Okay, pretty good. For you teachers, there are active participation. Okay? Integrity. Webster calls it honesty, trustworthiness, and incorruptibility to agree that one is incapable of being false to a trust, a responsibility, or a pledge. For anyone serious about that, for anyone serious about integrity, count on three things to happen in your life. And I got these three things from John Trent. And these are the three things. If you're serious about living a life of integrity, you can count on this. It's going to cost you some money. It often takes a great deal of time and effort. And it may not make you popular or respected by the world. Think in your own life. Was there a time in which you practiced integrity that one of those three things came to be true? I thought of my own life. And I thought of a couple different instances. One of those was when we were newly married, we got into a car accident. Maybe not even an accident so much as a fender bender. My brother-in-law was driving and, and we were at a stop light and a car hit us from behind. Exchanged the insurance and did all that we were supposed to do and about three weeks maybe a month later I get a phone call and it's from an insurance company and they said we'd like to pay you this exorbitant amount of money and I told them it wasn't my car they said it doesn't matter we just want to pay you this money but we're not hurt we're perfectly fine that's okay we'd like to offer you this money anyway now we were newly married and Money would have been great. But there was nothing wrong with us. So we didn't take the money. Being people of integrity can cost us. Another example, I used to be a wrestling coach. I was wrestling one of our rival teams. And um, I had an athlete that had been injured, but the trainer had okayed him to go. He really wanted to wrestle against this opponent. And during the match, he was way behind. The opponent had grabbed him and then threw him down on the mat illegally, an illegal slam. And our wrestler got hurt and couldn't continue. If it was an illegal slam, then if it was illegal and he couldn't continue, we would get the win. We would get the points. And it, as it would have turned out, we would have won the match. But reality was, 
That move didn't hurt my athlete. He was already hurt. That didn't cause the difference of the match. And it would have been very easy for me just to let it go and take the win. The problem with that would have been my wrestler would have known the difference. And so would have his entire teammates. And so I switched it and told him that we weren't going to take that win. And it cost us the match. And the newspapers weren't too friendly with me. Nor were the fans. Nor were some parents. I wasn't overly popular on that particular evening. But one thing was for sure. Integrity was carried out and my kids knew it. And if we're to live a life of integrity, it may cost us something. God is asking us to do what is right. Living a life of integrity in spite of the cost, in spite of the inconvenience. I think that's what God is saying on this first step. If we're to live an unshakable lifestyle. Integrity will cost us. And you sit there this morning, you can think of in your own life where integrity has cost you. And it will continue to. But I also believe this. That, that there may be a cost to it, but the advantages far outweigh the cost. So let's just look through Scripture quickly. If we're to be men and women of integrity, wouldn't it be right to see how Scripture will back us? Because that's what we're called to do if we want to live in a shakable life. So here are some benefits of living a life of integrity. They're not exhaustive by any means. One of them is integrity can move you up the ladder the right way. Nehemiah. Many of you here today are in occupations where if you're going to move up the ladder, if you're going to get to that next step, there are times in which you might have to compromise what you believe in in order to get there. Nehemiah is saying that that doesn't have to be that way. That you can, you can advance up doing it the right way with integrity. This particular verse in Nehemiah 7 talks about how Nehemiah chose two men to take over his citadel. And the reason that he chose them because they were men of integrity. And we too can be chosen to move up the ladder because we are people of integrity. Integrity brings us clear guidance. Proverbs 11.3 Integrity provides a non-slip surface for our feet. Proverbs 10 The man with integrity walks securely. No wonder, David says, if you want to live an unshakable life, start with integrity. You won't slip if you walk with integrity. Integrity passes down or a lasting inheritance. Some of us sit here today with the blessings of having parents who were mom and dads and grandparents of integrity. And we're benefits of that. And some of you here today are parents. And, and know this, our kids watch us, right? Brandon, I don't know what Brandon was doing with this stuff. I don't know what he was watching on that. But, but our kids watch us. 
And it's not always what we say. It's what we do, right, that they hear the most. And when you're people of integrity, they will be too. And don't think that it's just when they're little. They could be 20s and 30s and 40s. And our kids are still watching us. Integrity makes all people better, Scripture tells us. Integrity passes the test of what pleases God. And maybe best of all, when we're men and women of integrity, it makes us more like Jesus. Teacher, they said, we know you are a man of integrity. And if we want to be more like Christ, we need to be people of integrity. The first step in an unshakable life. Some things in life come easy. For my 18-year-old daughter, who's a senior at this school, shopping comes easy. For my 21-year-old daughter, who's a senior in college, talking comes easy. For my 31-year-old wife, that's not true. (laughs) But she looks 31, and that's true. (laughs) Eating chocolate, reading good books, and teaching kindergartens how to read comes easy. And there's some things in life that are hard. Going on a diet and losing weight is hard. Doing taxes about this time of year, that can be hard. For me, playing golf can be hard. One of my favorite golfers when I grew up was a guy called Lee Trevino. Maybe some of you remember him. I liked him because he made golf fun. Golf wasn't always fun to me. But he made it fun. He made it light. One time, Trevino was in a tournament, and lightning strikes were going all around him. Maybe you remember this. And they had to call the tournament for a little bit. And so in the clubhouse, they were asking Trevino, were you afraid with all the lightning strikes all around you? Remember what he did? He held up the club up high. He said, absolutely not. I was not afraid because God himself can't even hit a one iron. (laughs) Trevino's theology might not have been really good. But what is true is that sometimes in life, it's work. we got to get gritty and dirty and sweaty. And, And I think David's saying that we need to work righteousness, he says. Sometimes Doing righteousness takes work. And that's the second characteristic that that David talks about of being an unshakable lifestyle. People of integrity and working righteousness. Righteousness. That's not a word that we often use. How would you describe righteousness? You've got 30 seconds to talk to somebody sitting next to you. How would you describe righteousness? Righteousness is used in the Bible over 500 times. 
about 139 times in the book of Psalms itself. Now, the book of Psalms is Old Testament, obviously, and the original text in the Old Testament was that of Hebrew. Righteousness has several meanings in Hebrew. Let's take a look at a few of those. Hebrews, in the Hebrew righteousness, to be straight, to meet a standard, to be firm. Righteousness living, righteous living was a behavior towards God and others that kept us on the straight and narrow. Righteousness. I've worked a number of track meets, and one of the things, one of the jobs I've had was watching lane violations. And I would have a flag, and if, if it was a relay, and they, before they exchanged the baton, they stepped over a particular line, they'd be disqualified. Or if they were running down and they went across the line, I would raise my flag, and the athletes, the runners, would be disqualified. The same is true for us as we try to live righteously, as we try to live right with God. We need to stay inside the lines. But inadvertently, like a track athlete, sometimes we can step outside the lines. And sometimes purposely. And God knows that. In fact, God understands that one of the common characteristics of a human being is the inability to stay inside the line. He tells us that in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short. All have sinned. We inadvertently will go across that line. God knows that. In the world in which we live in, in our society, we are constantly being squeezed to cut corners. We live in a world that we're constantly being squeezed to compromise. But Romans again tells us in 12.2, do not be conformed to this world. If we were to get out of our seats and line up all along the auditorium walls in a, in a one line, and if God himself could come and talk to us about righteousness, I think I know in part what he might say. He might say the same thing Paul said. And Paul said this in Romans as well. There is none righteous, not even one then we have a problem. Because Psalm 15 tells us that we're to live righteously. And not just Psalm 15, throughout the Bible tells us that we need to live righteously. Jesus said that in in Mark. In Matthew, excuse me. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter... The kingdom of heaven. You're not going to heaven. Really? I have to do more than the Pharisees and the Sadducees? You know, those guys, they woke up in the morning just fired up to do the law. That's all they did. That's their total life. Hundreds of laws a day and rituals. That's all they did. And we're supposed to do more than that? God, why would you ask us to do something we can't do? The answer to that? He didn't. God brings righteousness 
within our reach. God knew we could never measure up. That's why the shedding of blood of sacrificial lambs in the Old Testament. That's why God gave us the Son of God, the Lamb of God in the New Testament. That means since the cross, righteousness has a new meaning. Romans 3. Because no one can be made right with God by following the law. The law only shows us our sin. But God has a way to make people right. God has a way of making people righteous. It has nothing to do with the law. He has shown us a new way, which the law and the prophets have told us about. God makes people right. God makes people righteous through Jesus Christ, through our faith in Christ. He does this for all who believe in Him. All the same. Righteousness, to define righteousness is now choosing to put our faith in Christ who will give us the strength to do the things that are difficult for us. That's righteousness. There may be some here today who's... It would be easy. It'd be easy for you to leave your spouse because things aren't working out very well. But you don't. There may be some here, students here, who get, who get answers to the test, which they shouldn't have, but they pass it along because they don't want to compromise their character. There may be CPAs here who, who choose not to cut corners even though their bosses are telling them to cut those corners because they chose righteousness, because they chose to put their faith in Christ who will give them the strength to do the right thing. We're asked to do choices every day, hundreds of choices every day, some more difficult than others. And we're called to do the right thing. Maybe it's as simple as turning the channel on the TV when we shouldn't be watching something that we are. Maybe it's reading something that we shouldn't be reading and we put it away. Maybe it's a conversation that turns into gossip and we walk away from it. And we do that because it's the right thing to do. We do that because we put our faith in Christ who will strengthen us to do the right thing. That's practical righteousness. And that's what we're called to do. That's where the rubber meets the road. That's living out our faith. That's what God has called us to do. Integrity. Righteousness. And truth. Everybody loves a wedding. Family and friends get to gather around the young couple with a great future. As for Vernon and Charmaine, as they stood up giving their promises to each other in front of God and all the witnesses, their future looked great. Stunning couple, really. Everything looked like it was golden. The ceremony was short but meaningful. The reception had lots of laughter and prizes and, or gifts and, and, and lots of prayers of blessings. But truth be told, as Vernon was standing up there repeating the words of the pastor, I thee wed, what Vernon should have been saying as he held Charmaine's hands looking her in the eyes is, 
I thee wrong. He was covering up that he didn't really have a divorce. He was just really separated. But that was just the crack of the door. Charmaine and Vernon were married on April 23rd, and on May 11th, Vernon found himself at another wedding, this time without Charmaine and not to eat the cake, but to be married again. And a month later, June 5th, Vernon found himself in another wedding, not as a groomsman, but being married to his fourth wife. And later it all came out. And he, and he garnished the publicity and the money. He was on three different talk shows nationwide. Never a regret. Truth. We see it all the time. This past fall, the cover-up at Penn State shocked a lot of us. As Joe Paterno had to step down from his coaching responsibilities. Down the street, a ways at Ohio State, Jim Trussell had a cover-up. He too had to step down. This last week I read about North Carolina and the sanctions, sanctions that came out on them. And, and all because of another cover-up. As I watch the news and I, as the political race is heating up, the political candidates are accusing each other of not necessarily telling the truth. Covering up lies. Big lies make big news. But dishonesty, dishonesty isn't reserved for bigamy and politicians and athletes. There are thousands of unpublicized dishonesty every day. And though it may not make Oprah, it does make for shaky ground. When God tells us to speak the truth in our heart, He's pointing out that at our deepest level, our attitudes and our thoughts and our actions, we're to put truth in the center, front and center. There was a day when a handshake was good enough. But when, but when people began to see that they could gain from being dishonest, all of a sudden truth got a bit grayer. And in places like churches and schools, truth became reduced to just your own opinion. We just are on the heels of a great series that Ken did on truth. Challenging. Really good. This morning, let's briefly take a look at some advantages of being truthful. We're called to, being, to be truthful. And it will begin to help us live that unshakable life. Freedom from the need to maintain a facade. A few weeks ago, we had a, a guest speaker from Wheaton, the expert on C.S. Lewis. Remember him? He was really good. He used a term in there that I really liked. I'm going to hold on to that. Maybe you caught it. Image management. I'd never heard that term before, being an image manager. And I thought about how in this school, in this building, throughout the course of the week, how many students are constantly trying to manage their image? 
trying to look right for their peers, trying to make themselves look a certain position so they can be accepted. But you know, it's just not for high school students. High school is just really a microcosm of society, really. Because we do the same thing. Sometimes we're really good. We're just better at it being image managers. Living a life of truthfulness means being the same person in public as we are in private. Saying the same things in Portland, Oregon as you would say in Portland, Maine. Truthfulness involves projecting an image that isn't skin deep, but bone deep. And this morning, maybe you're struggling with that. Maybe there's a facade that you've put on. Because maybe you're not being as truthful to your own self as you need to be. Freedom of truth. Freedom from being found out. Being truthless gives the person an incredible amount of freedom. I love studying about leaders. A lot of you do. Abraham Lincoln is one that's fun to study. We think of Lincoln as a beloved president. And he is, but at the time he wasn't, was he? He had plenty of critics. But the thing about Lincoln was that even his greatest critics would say he was truthful. They didn't like what he stood for, but what he stood for was true to him. Why was it, they asked Lincoln, why do you go to such great efforts to be accurate? His simple response, I don't have to remember as much, he said. And isn't that true? It's true for all of us. Freedom from being found out. Freedom from guilt. King David, although he had a remarkable relationship with God, had plenty of blunders, of which the greatest was with Bathsheba and the cover-up that he had with that relationship with Bathsheba. This is what David said on the heels of that cover-up. When I refused to confess my sin, I was weakened and miserable day and night. Your hand of discipline was heavy on me, he says in Psalms 32. Have you been there? Have you felt the power of guilt? Sometimes guilt can be used by God. Like, sometimes physical pain keeps us from continuing on a path that we shouldn't. We back off. Sometimes guilt can do the same for us. It can warn us about spiritual problems in our own lives. David answered with this, Finally, I confess my sin to you and stopped trying to hide them. And you forgave me. And all my guilt was gone. Turns God's eyes towards us. I love this verse in 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles 16.9 it's a great one to memorize. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. Second Chronicles 16.9 God is actually looking for us 
to live the life of truth. He's searching for us. To search is not casual. The search is not passive. You don't search for something passively. God's not folding his arms and just nodding his head. He's actively looking for us to speak truth. And when we do, he comes alongside us to encourage us and strengthen us. That's exactly what the verse is telling us. If you want to live out Psalm 15, God is there to come alongside us and strengthen us. Before you toss up your hands and say, this life of integrity and righteousness and truth, that's an ideal that I can't ever really live up to. I can't do that. That's just asking a little too much. It sounds good. It's good to hear on a Sunday. But soon I'll walk out there. Let me tell you a little story that will help encourage us. It encouraged me. As Bob Shaw and I are working through the New Old Testament together, came across a story a week ago in Numbers 21. You may remember it. Moses had just delivered his people from Egypt. God had done some unbelievable miracles, right? All the plagues, parting of the Red Sea, miracle after miracle. And you remember the people of Israel in the wilderness. And what do they do? Human nature. They start complaining. They start whining. They forget all that God has done for them. But God was not pleased. I would say God was ticked. And he sent serpents, snakes, out in the wilderness. Do you remember that? And they were being bitten. And once you were bitten by these snakes, you died. And they begged God, and they asked God for forgiveness. And Moses begged God. And so what God did was he, he asked Moses to make a cross, and on the cross to put serpents. And if the people of Israel looked, if they were bitten, all they had to do is look up, to the serpents and they'd be healed all they had to do was to look up at the right direction and their death sentence was commuted that's the same for us all we have to do is look up at the right place Jesus Jesus when he was talking to Nicodemus in John 3 brings up that story Do you remember that? John 3. He brings up that story. By the way, for those in the medical field, that serpent, that snake, that's the universal medical symbol. You've seen that? And that's where it comes from, is Numbers 21. So Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he brings it up. Um, Because Nicodemus knows about this. John three fourteen. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus was telling Nicodemus there was only one place to look 
for everlasting life. And we need to look at the same place. And this morning, this morning if you're feeling convicted that your life isn't a life of integrity, that there's times in your lives that you go, man, I have compromised too much in this area. If, if your life isn't a life of righteousness, that you're making choices this morning that you know isn't right at whatever level, if you're living a life that seems to be a bit of a facade, you might look good here, but in reality, that's not really what, who you are. If those things are true in your life, and your head is down, what Jesus would say to you is the same thing he said to Nicodemus. Look up. Look up to me. And all those things are forgiven. But more than that, I will give you the strength to live a life of integrity and righteousness and truth. God will give us that strength. He promises us that. And when we do, we will begin to live that life that is unshakable. And let me close with this. Our world, our world out there, when you go to work on Monday, it's a shaky world. Our world, look at the papers, look at the news. It's a shaky world out there. And many people that were around look at your life and see that you live an unshakable life. You're on solid ground because of your relationship with Christ, because of a life of integrity and righteousness and truth. And they want that. They desire that. And it's simply this, because Jesus is attractive. You're attractive because Jesus is attractive, and you live a life that's unshakable. That's what our world wants. And as we go out Monday, that's what people are looking for. That's what Antioch can give the city of Bend. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for coming down here so we can look up to you and that you will give us the strength to live a life of integrity, righteousness, and truth. And it all starts with the relationship with you. Thank you for Psalm 15. And I pray, Lord God, that as Monday comes, we'll draw near to you. And people will ask us the question, what's different about you? And we'll be able to say, because of our purpose in life. In Jesus' name, amen.